You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest is a self-esteem and confidence coach who specializes in trauma release and energy healing. Her childhood was quite traumatic as she was brought up with domestic violence, sexual abuse, bullying, and taking on emotional and financial responsibility at 20 to support the family her parents had failed at doing. Welcome to the show, Jessica. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Anne. How are you? I am fabulous. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and thanks for the introduction. <laughs> oh, look, you know, it's what I do. <laughs> so, um, Jessica, can you tell us, like, I mean, as we just spoke about your intro, I mean, it, it sounds quite dramatic. Um, tell us about your childhood. Yeah, uh, I, I wasn't brought up from the most easiest and simplest family. Uh, I guess you could say my childhood was quite uh, dysfunctional, uh, very cold. Uh, you know, when you walk into the home, it feels like a fridge. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to be there. And I feel like um, <clears throat> that uh, I felt like I was suffocated, I was suppressed, I couldn't be myself. And if I was to be feminine or vulnerable then it's seen as weak and i would get criticized for it and there was just a lot of sorry can i ask first what what is your background my background is chinese malaysian that's my cultural Uh, background right (laughs) it that china a lot it's it's very well i mean i suppose a lot of asian cultures but china especially is it's it's you know the sort of the rules and regulations in the home are very very different to what we're accustomed to here. So yeah, that definitely. that does make a lot of sense, yeah. The boys are always favoured. The men are always favoured in that culture. Yeah. So tell us more about the childhoods. You, when did you sort of first notice that, the, you know, the environment you were growing up in was very sort of different? I mean, did you notice other kids at school that were seemed different to you and their childhood or their parents were different? You're up for you. I guess I just felt it in primary school. I just felt I didn't feel that same. I I just didn't feel that warmth and connection between my parents as a kid um, that I had when I was younger. Um, And as I got older, I guess, you know, at the age of eight, that's when I first experienced anxiety where my dad um, yelled at me and judged me and criticised me for being stupid and useless, those were the words he said to me when he was trying to teach me how to do the timetables. Wow. And when he said, you're stupid, you're useless, it, I was just shocked. I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. I just froze. That was my reaction. And I had that frozen energy trapped inside of me since then, and I had to work on letting go of that trauma. Um, that was my first experience, and then... Uh, when I was 16, it just got even worse. There was domestic violence going on. I saw my dad verbally and physically abusing my mom. And um, when I was 18, I had to finally defend my mom and told him that, you know, stop it, you dickhead. Like I said that to him and he just hit me. And the worst thing was, you know, after defending my mom and when he hit me, my mom just laughed and criticized me and said to me in Chinese, you shouldn't have said that. You know, you're stupid for saying that. Why did you say that for? And I just couldn't, couldn't believe it. I just, I had to suppress the panic attacks that I was betrayed and abused by both parents. 
It's crazy. Yeah. I've actually witnessed um, it myself. I was, I remember I was at a, I can't remember where I was. It was, it wasn't that long ago. It was only maybe a couple of months and I was sitting somewhere and um, there was a young Chinese boy with his grandmother and he was trying to give her advice about whatever they were doing. He was trying to give her advice um, and she kept sort of screaming something at him. Of course, I couldn't understand what she was saying, um, but the little boy sort of, you know, I could see it really affected him. And later on, I actually had a chance to speak to him. I said, oh, what, what was your grandmother saying? And he actually said, oh, she was saying that I was stupid. And I was just like, oh, my God, like you were literally trying to help her and you were showing her the right way of doing something and she's calling you stupid. And, mm. I mean, as we all know, the things that we hear and see as children carry on through our whole lives. I mean, it, it basically affects us, especially being called stupid. I think that's a really big one with children. It's, it's not a great thing to hear when you're a child. Yeah, definitely. I see it all the time um, in yeah. shopping centres where you see Chinese grandmothers criticising um, their grandkids. And it was on um, Bondi Rescue, is, oh, that TV yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, I saw that episode, yeah. Yeah, how the kid, well, the grandchild was trying to help her and she was telling the grandson, you're stupid in yeah. Chinese, Um for trying to help her. I know, <laughs> it's just yeah. No, I saw that. I actually saw that episode. And I mean, it's, and also, I mean, we must put a clarification in here. It isn't just Chinese people either. I mean, I've, I see this in shopping centers with Australian mothers and women that probably shouldn't have children um, mm. a lot of the time, uh, screaming absolute abuse at their children. And it, it just haunts me because, I mean, I, I grew up in a pretty, you know, sort of out there childhood also and experience things that and saw things that children probably shouldn't see and it really does affect you it, it it's it has a really strong effect and i think that parents really need to rethink when they're about to say something to the child every time because words really do hurt yeah definitely and creating safety in the home exactly and also the the ability to just express yourself i think that's a yes. really important thing um, and sexual abuse, where did that come in? That came in when I was in my teenage years. So I started to notice between 12 to 16 about. Um, and it was from my uncle. So it was my mum's brother. And uh, my mum, she uh, wanted to employ her two brothers from Malaysia. They came and live with us. And um, they started to live with us at about when I was 10 and as I started to grow into a teenager, into a young woman, I noticed, I noticed one of them started to whistle at me, started to look at me funny like he was scanning my body, um, started to say things inappropriately, started to touch me inappropriately. And, um, you know, there was a point where on the weekends, uh, the family business is that we sell tools on the weekends and we had a store and a warehouse and I would have to come with them um, because my parents just didn't want to pay for a babysitter and they didn't want to leave us at home alone. So I had to go to the markets with them and I was sitting in the middle while my mum was driving the truck or the van and um, my uncle was sitting next to me. So I was in the middle 
And he started to use his elbow to touch my waist. He started to touch my thigh. And I was only a teenager. I didn't know what to do. I felt so ashamed. I felt disgusted. I felt like, oh my God, like why was I even born as a woman? I didn't even know what to do. I, I didn't know if I should scream or say something to my mom and my mom was driving. I just didn't know what to do. I just to- tolerated it and I just felt so disgusted. I didn't even know that was sexual abuse. A lot um, of the time too, I think that we think coach. that we've instigated it. What did we do for them to, you know, to do this? We must have done something. Yeah. It's mm. like, um, it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't mean for that to happen. So how um, old would have he been at the time? Ah, uh, gosh. I would say in his 40s. Wow. Creep. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, creep. <laughs> and so explain the situation that, so at 20, you were supporting your family. Yeah. So uh, at that point in time, uh, my, my parents were having an argument. It's like the normal thing. They have an argument every time they go back home after work and it can get really aggressive um, and so my father, as usual, was verbally swearing at my mum and called her some things that I shouldn't be hearing and shouldn't be said. And she was crying and she, I came downstairs just to check what was happening. And she was telling me, I asked her, why are you crying? And she said to me that, uh, you know, your dad, he doesn't want to pay for the mortgage anymore. He doesn't want to help pay for the mortgage um, I have to pay for the mortgage. I, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how we can continue the mortgage repayments. And, um, yeah, so my dad has a sex addiction. So at that time he was cheating on my mom. He went to, uh, brothels, um, had sex with prostitutes. He had porn stashed in his office on the computer, on his phone. I found condoms in his trousers when I was 16. I was, um, yeah, just absolutely disgusted. And when my mom said that to me, I said, okay, I'll help you, mom. And so I didn't go to uni. I never had good grades anyways. And I started to work in McDonald's, retail jobs, customer service roles, anything that I could get just to support my mom. And I would give her $900 just to help her uh, pay the mortgage. I would pay off $3,000 off her debt. I would just give her cash whenever she wanted it. And I didn't realize at that time that that's actually quite a dysfunctional family dynamic. That shouldn't be happening. I should have had the awareness, but I didn't because of the way I was brought up. I should have had the awareness to say, no, mom, this is not my responsibility. That that's something that parents need to figure out. You can't involve the children in it. Yeah. So yeah, I became her emotional mother and her financial parent or partner. So with your parents, were they, were they educated well, do you think? No. No. So my mom, she didn't, I don't think she went to high school um, because she came from a family of 13 wow. and she was the eldest. So she had to look after the family. Yeah. And my dad, he came to um, Australia to study high school. Um, I think Dremoyne boys. And then he studied, I'm not sure if it was a degree or a diploma in accounting. That was it. Wow. That's incredible. So he went to sin by himself. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that would have taken a lot of guts. 100%. Yeah. Both of then. my parents were bullied. So that's why they chose to leave Malaysia. Right. That's incredible. This is Ants Talk. You, of course, now doing amazing things with your life. <laughs> so you work <laughs> as a life coach as just one of the titles that we can call you. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the realm of like life coach, counsellor, healer, um, and you, ba- I mean, I've had a look at your stuff and at your website and there's so many people that really give you kudos for your work and you've done some amazing things with these people and their lives. You must be very proud of that. Thank you. Yes, I am. I'm really proud of that. I, for me, um, the reason why I wanted to do life coaching and I specialize in different modalities such as trauma release work, um, energy healing, personality readings, and, uh, I can only help people by helping myself first. Yeah. There's no way that I could understand a person's trauma if I haven't gone through that journey of going through that pain and healing it at the same time mm. and to be able to overcome it with tools and methods and strategies and support. Life coaches, I must say, are, are so incredible. And I mean, I think we hear about them a lot, but a lot of people may not know what they actually do or have, you know, don't, don't sort of have never been to one. So they've got no idea. And I have been to one. Um, and it was an amazing time in my life. Um, this gentleman basically got me to, I mean, it probably a little bit different to what you do, but he basically got me to write down some goals that I wanted to achieve. And I think we wrote down about seven or 10 of them. Um, and then each week that I would meet him, it was almost like he'd give me homework to then go away and work on each of these goals. Um, I managed to do every single one of them and I did some amazing things. I, I basically wrote and um, illustrated a children's book. I sang live on stage for the first time, just stuff like that, you know, that I'd, I'd been planning and wanting to do. But having this guy's support and encouragement and everything else that he gave me, it made it so much easier. It really did. It really pushed me. And I think that it's, it's something that a lot of people should look into because I think as adults, sometimes we do need that encouragement and that guidance from someone that can sit back and give you the expertise that you need and tailor it to you. Mm, 100%. And I think that's great, the things that you've achieved. That's like really out of the comfort zone. It's out of the oh, box. Oh, yeah, yeah. Goals. And that was only two of them. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually had a bit of a chat by email and we spoke about some of the things that you like to discuss and, and, and you also that you work in. And I found some of the subjects absolutely fascinating and I've got some of them here. So maybe we could just go through each one and you could give me your response to it. Okay. Yeah, sure. So why vulnerability is real confidence. Hmm. So I really feel that there are three different levels of confidence. The first level is surface level. And that's a lot of, um, many of us engage in that level of confidence. So surface level, you could say is bravado. It's putting on a mask, putting up a guard. It's about looking good, but it's not about feeling good or trusting your gut feel. So when we engage in surface level confidence, we look things outside of ourselves 
to fill this void, this emptiness from within. And that creates an addiction. So we're trying to get that instant high, like getting a haircut, um, you know, taking drugs, drinking, Netflix, you know, social media, all these kind of things that's outside of ourselves. And we're not willing to listen to the voice within. And it's easier to take on other people's advice, opinions, and not listening to our own. So that's surface level confidence, mm-hmm. where it's all about appearances and looking good and being addicted to anxiety, really. The second level of confidence is presence. So presence is your energy. What kind of energy do you radiate to people in a conversation or when you go into a room? You can immediately sense that, oh, I've got a connection with this person. Oh, this person, I just don't want to talk to them. Um, You know, you get, you just, it's those vibes. So it's what kind of energy do you radiate and what kind of energy or vibes that do you get back from that person? So that's present. That's presence. The last level of confidence is core confidence. So core confidence is confidence from the heart. And what this means is it's about trusting uh, yourself, your intuitive guidance, trusting, um, you know, you know, what's come through for you, that trusting, you know, I guess the life journey, the roadblocks, the resistances, and how can you overcome that? Just trusting the guidance to overcome Mm. these things. It's about, you know, really believing in your values and your beliefs and what you stand for and express your truth. That's called confidence. And this requires great vulnerability to do that because if we want to be um, in the surface level confidence, it doesn't require any vulnerability at all. There is no loss. There is no risk. So we stay inside our comfort zone. But when it comes to core confidence, yes, we have to go out of our comfort zone. We have to be courageous and put ourselves out there to do the things that we love, to be aligned with our truth and to express it. That's brilliant. I think that's amazing. And it really does um, resonate with me a lot because I often say that to people because people will always say to me, oh my God, you're so confident. And I'll say a lot of that's bravado people. I'm a really good actor. And I think that a lot of us do that. I think that it's quite easy to go out there and sort of put on the brave face as such and, and face the world where I don't think, I think a lot of people then utilize that as their, their go-to thing where you do have to look a little bit deeper and, and work on yourself and, and, and change a few things about your life and also about yourself so you can actually show true confidence because you're happy with self. Definitely. So the next one is what's with the mummy boy and daddy little girl syndrome that ain't working in our dating lives? Yeah. So uh, I, I work with a lot of single men. I'm not sure why I attract more men than women. Uh, so with, so um, a lot of men are struggling with, uh, you know, finding a long-term life partner these days, particularly in Sydney. Yeah. And uh, what, there are two things that I've noticed. So there are guys who get easily friend-zoned, and that's the mummy's boy syndrome. And then there's guys who can attract first dates, but it doesn't eventuate into a long-term relationship. It's easy for them to get hookups or just first dates and never seen them again, and that's it. So the reason for these things that happen for the guys is that the money, mummy boy syndrome is about being suppressed 
So when you have that friend zone energy, right, you're not um, radiating your sexuality, you're radiating just your heart energy. Mm. So if you have a shut down sexual energy, but you have an open heart energy, women feel safe around you, but they don't feel the excitement, right? So that's how they can friend zone. The reason, the wounding, the, I guess the traumatic cause for this is that that man, when he was a little boy or a toddler, he was suppressed by his mum. So he had a really controlling mother who um, wanted to be in this good boy box by telling him at a young age, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to have good grades, you got to be a good boy, you can't say that, you got to behave very well, you got to, you know, look perfect and all this stuff. So to be this um, little perfect boy in mummy's eyes. And so when a man takes that um, conditioning and learnings from those experiences and bring it into his manhood, he's still that little boy. He's still Mm -hmm. that mummy's boy. So that's what I mean by the mummy's boy syndrome, where you're constantly friend zoned, that women don't see you as a potential partner. They see you as a friend. They don't get excited. They don't feel that chemistry or attraction because the sexual energy was shut down or shamed by mum. The uh, little girls, uh, I guess the daddy little girls. So the daddy little girl is where she's a princess because when a woman was a little girl and she was favoured by her dad and had a jealous mum, then she would be treated like a princess. It would be easier to get love from her dad. And so when she has those expectations, when it comes to a relationship with um, men, she would have high expectations of dad and she would have those expectations. No man would ever be good enough like my dad. Mm. So when we have that daddy little girl syndrome, it's too hard for women, single women who have that syndrome to find Mr. Right because there is no such thing as a perfect man. That's the conundrum there. Yeah. And then um, I guess with the guy, when it comes to being the bad boy syndrome, being the bad boy syndrome is about um, being favoured by mum and where there is a bit of, um, I guess you could say some, uh, sexual essence in the relationship. It doesn't mean that she um, touched you inappropriately or anything, but it meant that she favoured you more than the other kids. And so, or even sometimes and, their own husband or partner. Yeah. Yeah, that that's right. Spot yeah. on. That, that's correct. So if the mum is not getting her emotional needs from her partner, she will find it with her kids. Mm. So if there's a particular like son for example that she favors then the son feels that he's on top of the world he's the king because mummy um praise him um and so when he takes that energy as a little boy into a man he would have an open sexual energy but a closed heart energy because that relationship with mum was false it's not an authentic loving relationship so they have a shut down heart energy open sexual energy meaning that it's easy for women to be drawn to them but it's not long lasting that's why it's harder for them to have long lasting relationships it's funny you say all that because watch any dating show and you will see those people within that show every time every (laughs) single time you really do it's, it's, it's actually incredible. Like I've, I watch a lot of reality TV and especially dating <laughs> shows. My husband hates it. 
but <laughs> <laughs> I see that all the time and it, and it rings so true with what you just said. It really does come back to how they were treated by their pa- parents of either sex, the male or the female. It really mm. does. And I think it prevents a lot of people from finding love. It really does because we can't continue on. I mean, I see it all the time. You know, the, you've got the men out there that feel like they're not good enough to get a date with a woman. So they're very passive within a date, dating realm. Um, and then women aren't, aren't attracted to that unless they're a dominant woman and want to have somebody to lead around on a leash. Um, Mm. But at the same token, you also do get a lot of those women where they act like no man is good enough. And I think at the moment with social media and the way the world has sort of turned, there seems to be a lot more women like that because I I know a lot of straight guys and they just say, you know, we just can't compete. Like they literally want every woman, they well, this is what's coming out of their mouths. Every Mm. woman these days wants somebody that's rich that can buy them anything, you know, they want them also to be gorgeous and good looking and tall, handsome. And it's like, well, how often are you going to find that combination? I mean, really majority Mm, of rich men aren't young. (laughs) 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 There's very few of them and most of them are already taken. Um, So therefore I don't know who these women are looking for because they're probably not going to find them. Well, they're pretty much looking for their dad. <laughs> yeah, basically. It, it's crazy. It's like that old saying goes, you, you marry your mother or you marry your father. It sort of rings true in a lot of cases, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. So there's, your next one is um, why trauma releases super sexy and liberating to discovering you and understanding your setbacks in your archetype to see them as lessons for spiritual and personal growth. Yeah, so trauma release is super sexy. The reason why I say that is because it's not sexy when you don't work on yourself. It's not sexy when you're holding on to the past and you're holding on to trauma in your body. So when people don't work on themselves, people can instantly feel, oh my God, this person is so disconnected or this person is highly anxious or this person Mm. has issues, right? These kind of comments. And when we start working on our trauma, letting go of anxiety or the intensity of the anxiety, should I say, you know, really letting go of the control freak in us that, hey, you know, you're not living in chaos anymore. Yes, that happened to you in the family dynamics, but it's not happening to you now. Mm. So it's about letting go of those defense mechanisms so you can just be yourself, so you can be vulnerable and present um, the authentic you. So the more you work on yourself by letting go low vibe frequencies such as anger, you know, depression, anxiety, resentment, uh, despair, all these low vibe stuff that's not serving you and that's holding us back and creates this resistance, the more we can free that kind of energy, the more you can feel expansive, the more you can feel a lot more stronger to contain your emotions or not letting other people's opinions or their vibe affect you. So when we're stuck in the past, we're easily triggered, we're easily reactive, and we easily take things personally because we're still holding on to the past. So the more you work on your trauma, letting go of the trauma layer by layer, it's not a quick fix, it's a journey. So it's letting go a layer of layer of trauma 
and attachments or energetic attachments to past experiences for you to start to feel free within yourself emotionally, mentally, physically, energetically. And then you can feel more into who you are rather than your false identity. So when you start to feel into who you are, you feel, oh my goodness, you know, a lot more light. Um, you feel a lot more joy, a lot more gratitude, um, you know, just to be able to let that stuff go. But right. when people are still holding on to that stuff, they act out as the victim. And being the victim or playing in your pity party isn't sexy at all. It's so off-putting. Yeah. People don't even want to hang around with those people unless they're on the same wavelength. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then they'll probably just do some drugs together anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And just be like, oh, well, let's just forget about all that. Um, So tell us, who would be be a potential client for you out there? Oh, gosh. I would say my ideal client are men who are 33 to 38, single, working in... um, corporate careers in Sydney uh, and they are looking to... Or internationally because we have internet these days. (laughs) (laughs) That's true too. That's true too. Um, And uh, they are looking to find themselves, like really getting to know who they are because they've lost touch with their masculinity and their vulnerability. Uh, But that's my ideal client. Uh, I do work with Mm. women as well. At the moment, I'm just getting a lot of single men at that age bracket. I think the, I think the reason there is, to be honest, is I, um, we as men are, are taught to suppress feelings and you know and emotions, and I think that it comes to a point in their lives where it just boils out of them. You, they can't hold it anymore, and that's why they seek services like you and and also change in their life is because they realise that. They can't continue on this way. Mm. I mean, it's, it's the bad truth, but it's the reality. And they want something more from life than this, yeah. you know, being fake or being guarded or not being in tune with their feelings. Mm. They want and something so what, more. What are some of the things that you would do with, a, with your clients work-wise? And, you know, do you have a specific period you work with them or is it just ongoing till they feel that it's enough? Uh, those are great questions. So people find out about me uh, by coming to my workshops. And uh, with the workshops, I give a taster of everything I do. So I do energy healing, uh, personality reading, by understanding your archetype and what, how old were you and where do you store your trauma? What are the setbacks in your archetype? What are the life lessons that you can learn from being in this archetype? And uh, there will be trauma release work. So I do a bit of everything, uh, working with mindset. And when people come to the workshops and they feel like, yep, okay, she's speaking my lingo, Mm. then they will come and see me to do a three and a half day retreat in the Blue Mountains with me to go deeper in releasing trauma and to rebalance back to self-love. And then the next program would be a three weekend program where they work on uh, letting go of sexual shame. That's the first weekend. And the second weekend is about facing your shadow by confronting um, every single person who can represent in the room, um, 
you know, your inner critic or that abusive mum or that addictive dad or, you know, sour friendships, whatever it is that's holding you back will create an experience where you're going to confront and overcome those um, past attachments with them. And then the third weekend is about creating your life from abundance. And that's by seeing and turning your setbacks into new possibilities and potentials. And when you're able to let go of the sexual shame and the emotional pain, this is where you can become a creator with life. Otherwise, you're stuck being a seeker in life, being addicted, looking for short-term gains and quick fixes. That sounds amazing, I must say. (laughs) Absolutely incredible. And how would people find you? Uh, They can check out my website, lifeinconfidence.com, and uh, they can also reach out on my social media, which is on my website. Um, If they want to contact me directly, you can shoot me an email, jess at lifeandconfidence.com um, or, or my mobile number, 0424-181494. Fantastic. Jessica, I really, really appreciate you being on the show. And hopefully some people out there, some of the listeners who really are looking for a change in their life or to sort of delve deeper into their own personalities and their own traits will contact you and actually give this a go. Because I think, as I said earlier on, my life changed when I saw somebody like yourself. Um, and I think that it can help anybody that is from the smallest issue to the largest issue, whatever you perceive it as, it is always good to go and seek help from someone else that can have an outsider's view on it and give you some expertise and some knowledge about how to work with it and hopefully change it. Mm, definitely. I, I believe we all need help. We do. I agree. I completely agree. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. And we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Ant. Thanks for having me on your show. No problem. Bye. Bye. Ant Talk. It's like Oprah, but not.